Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcast, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. As we wait for the world cinemas to open, thus releasing a cascade of presumably A-list motion pictures, the good news is there are plenty of smaller films on offer, online and in the newly opened independent cinemas. Well, most of these filmmakers are, shall we say, new or promising. And you do start to pine for films made by established names, people you know and respect. And this week, that particular prayer has been answered. Not just one, but two highly reputable directors have stepped up to the plate. There's American Spike Lee's De Five Bloods showing on Netflix and Brit Michael Winterbottom's fourth and apparently last trip to Greece this time. Oh God, and some people say he's just Alan Partridge. He's not. <laughs> There's all other sides to him. Oh. Sasha, your main courses? Oh, lovely. Very nice. Thank you. Lamb chops? Chop, chop, chop. It's mint sauce. Looks lovely. As Steve Coogan and Rob Bryden sample an array of four-star Mediterranean dishes, Celia Imri and her friends plan an international cake shop called Love Sarah in a film of the same name. I didn't expect you to have quite so much. Please just tell me where we're going. Isabella. Mum would have wanted us to open this bakery, so that is what we're going to do. But this week, older movies hit the headlines in the light of the Black Lives Matter protests. It's a matter of huge embarrassment that the American film industry's origins are often undeniably racist. The world's first major feature film, Birth of a Nation, glorified the Ku Klux Klan, while one of the most popular films ever, Gone with the Wind, frankly excused slavery. She says she's coming. I don't know why she's coming, but she's a coming. You don't like me, Mammy. (laughs) Now, don't you argue with me. You don't. You really don't. (laughs) Right now, enraged protesters are demanding Gone with the Wind be banned, which is all right by me. It's hellishly long and dated in every way, not just politically. But its very popularity puts black filmmakers like Spike Lee in a bind. Oh, Red, I'm so afraid. I don't believe it. You've never been afraid in your life. I'm afraid now. I'm afraid of dying and going to hell. <laughs> you look pretty healthy. And maybe there isn't any hell. Oh, there is. I know there is. I was raised on it. 
Lee is undeniably one of the great American filmmakers, blending political edge with sheer entertainment in movies like Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X, Get on the Bus and the recent Black Klansman. But like his contemporaries Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese, he's also a huge movie fan. We'll need a white officer to play me when they meet face-to-face. You for the white race, Ron? Oh, hell yeah. So there becomes a combined Ron Stallworth. Can you do that? With the right white man, we can do anything. Lee's latest film is a Netflix production called The Five Bloods. It's both a black history lesson and a tribute to some classic Hollywood movies. It also couldn't be more baby boomer if it tried. And at the heart of the American baby boomer story is one event, the Vietnam War. Black GI, is it fair to serve more than the white Americans that sent you here? Nothing is more confused and to be ordered into a war to die without the faintest idea of what's going on. The 60s, particularly that year of years, 1968, was all about protest. Protest about race, as Martin Luther King and Malcolm X took to the streets. Big protests about gay rights and feminism. But above all, it was about Vietnam, as America found itself in a war they couldn't win, and one they started to suspect they shouldn't have even been a part of. I dedicate his next record to the Soul Brothers of the 1st Infantry Divisions. Be safe. The war scarred everyone, most of all the young American soldiers drafted to fight in it. And those soldiers mostly didn't come from the middle class who sent them there. Over 30% of the American troops came from 10% of the population. Black GIs like Otis, Paul, Melvin and Eddie. Gentlemen, welcome back to Vietnam. The Five Bloods sees the four friends, the Bloods as they call themselves, reuniting back in modern-day tourist Vietnam, 50 years after their tour of duty. Baby boomers may be amused by the names. Otis, Paul, Melvin and Eddie were four of the original Temptations, with only David Ruffin yet to be name-checked. Look what I found. Dirty man in all his gloves. Who was that guy? That brother was the best damn soldier that ever lived. The Bloods are back in Vietnam on a mission to locate the grave of the fifth member and unofficial leader of the Bloods, Stormin Norman, possibly a reference to the temp's charismatic producer, Norman Whitfield. I see ghosts, y'all. I see... ghosts. What happens to all of us, man? Have you seen them too? Yeah. They had come to you at night. Huh? Storm and Norm comes to me down there every night. Now he talked to you like he talked to me. Like Whitfield, Norman was the one who wised up four naive young soldiers to what was going on back home. And throughout To Five Bloods, director Spike Lee does the same thing to his audience, whether it's the young and ignorant or the older and blinkered. We bury it. They don't. We come back and collect. 
Like most boomers, Spike Lee's interest in black history mostly covers his own lifetime, from the civil rights riots of the early 60s to the events of the past four years under the euphemistically named President Fake Bone Spurs. Look it up, Lee seems to be constantly saying. I shall resign the presidency. Being back here, it is not easy. But Spike Lee is smart enough to know that a Netflix audience doesn't want to be preached at, so he cloaks his lessons with a story of a treasure hunt as the four amigos go up jungle to find a case of gold bars buried near Norman's grave. They found the site via a computer, thanks to Paul's son. Yes, this one's called David. What do you want, David? An equal share for helping you find it. Help? No. The authorities find out about this, y'all go back to the crib empty-handed. So you're just a little jive-ass gangster now, huh? After everything you put me through, I'd say you're getting a basement bargain. Like all treasure hunts, the strength of the story is in the characters and the effect a potential fortune might have on them. And Paul, played by veteran actor Delroy Lindo, is already the most troubled and paranoiac. He even wears a Make America Great Again cap to the others' disgust. Broken man. So what, you blaming yourself? You don't even know. No! And stirring the pot comes a villain from the country that, Paul thinks, got America into this mess in the first place. It's Frenchman Jean Renault, though to Spike Lee's credit, he allows more screen time to the French and Vietnamese point of view than, say, Sylvester Stallone or Chuck Norris might have. In my line of work, I have to be very careful. And that means knowing exactly who I am in business with. It's ironic that De Five Blood suffers from one of the faults of the film whose failings it's trying to correct. Like Gone with the Wind, it's too long, though, to be fair, Spike Lee is trying to take on a lot. But a hundred years of bad history are not going to be addressed in just one film, a film that also tips its hat at classics like Apocalypse Now, The Treasure of Sierra Madre, and some of Jones's own early films. We've been dying for this country from the very get Plot-wise, it's occasionally a rickety ride, particularly in the last hour, but history-wise, it's a revelation for many of us. If you want to know where Black Lives Matter comes from and why it's taken so long to really matter, The Five Bloods is a good place to start, and it's currently available on Netflix. Come on. This up. Get in it, David. Get in there. Put your fist up, David. Come on. Fist up, man. Come on, Paul. The Trip series of films and TV shows are deceptively and cuttingly structured by director Michael Winterbottom, one of the most prolific and versatile filmmakers in Britain today. His range seems astonishing. 24-hour party people, Tristram Shandy, Nine Songs, Welcome to Sarajevo and dozens more. All totally different, but all relying heavily on improvisation. I love Greg. Uh... What? I love Greg. Greg who? Greg oh, Orton Greg Chant. or Ian Chant, yeah. Very good. Well, I don't mind whether Greg or Ian Chant. I mean, they're both good. <laughs>
No film seen more made up on the hoof than the four trips. The first one followed by trips to Italy, Spain and now Greece. On the surface, the form seems lifted from reality TV. Two celebrity friends, comedians Rob Brydon and Steve Coogan, encouraged to bicker amusingly at a number of exclusive restaurants. We've not got much time left. You're going to miss me. It can be exhausting. Good God, you should meet you. The conceit is that the pair are playing themselves, the egotistical Coogan undermined by the more laid-back Bryden. But, of course, that's not the case. Their children, spouses and partners, their agents and managers are all played by actors, and each trip has, at its heart, a devised structure that reveals itself along the way. Hello. I look better as I get older. Yeah. Lots of women well, say I'm that. Well, a man is going to say it as well. I'm saying it. You look better older. Oh, thank you. You were unpalatable as a young man. But the dialogue is entirely improvised, and it's one of the marvels of the series that the script is made up of ad-lib jokes that still manage to advance the plot. The trip to Greece is the last of the series, ten years on, and it echoes the fact that the most famous trip of all time was Homer's Odyssey, a trip that also took ten years. It's very odd, isn't it, to start a trip to Greece in Turkey? It's the observer's idea um, to retrace the steps of um, Odysseus and the Odyssey, so that's, that's what we're doing. Ten-year Odyssey in six days. I mean, it's, uh, it's ambitious, Steve. It, it might sound ambitious, but if you think of uh, Ulysses by James Joyce... Thanks for telling me the author. I'd never have known... I'm just putting the information out there in case you don't. Where the last trip in Spain compared the relationship of the two stars with Spain's literary double act Don Quixote and Sancho Panza, the voyage here taps into Greek myths and legends. Mind you, it's hard not to, since everywhere they go is an historic site, including one in Turkey, the ruins of Troy. Service! This is the fourth time we've been on one of these little jaunts. We're uh, retracing the, the steps of Odysseus. Greeks were camped here ten years. I can do a week tops with a pillow. I won't camp without a pillow. In the previous trips, the obvious comic figure was Coogan, whose persona as an egotistical blowhard borrows from his most famous creation, Alan Partridge. But this time it's not quite so easy to mock. The character of Coogan is a man whose fame hasn't brought him much happiness, certainly no long-lasting relationship. For 97 minutes, you forget what a self-regarding arse Coogan is in real life. My takeaway from that is he thinks I'm a brilliant actor. That's what you take away from yeah. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, this time he struggles with the news that his father is in hospital. Will he abandon the trip to try and reconnect with his family? Meanwhile, the usually likeable Rob Brydon seems to take pleasure in comparing Steve's life with his own happy marriage. And this time he almost seems to be the bully of the pair, delivering comic thrusts that Coogan finds hard to counter. I could do that. You could not. Let me swim to the sirens. OK, you win. I rest with my shoulder. If you died, I would gladly try and resuscitate you. you waving goodbye to me. It's a trick, needless to say, giving the illusion of insight into a long-lasting friendship when both the insight and, in some ways, the friendship are fictional. But where does it say that a relationship in a movie has to be true? The gags remain as fresh as ever, even covering the same ground. Yes, James Bond makes several more appearances. 
It's a shame we're getting the ferry. I would like to stay in the Hotel Lesbian. Come, come, Mr Bond. You like staying in the Hotel Lesbian just as much as I do. If I can get my head down in the Lesbian, I'm more than happy. Come on. What do you mean, come on? Oh, that's convenient. The highlights, as always, are the impressions, whether it's Hugh Grant, Michael Parkinson and Mick Jagger on their own, or the trip's defining gag, the competitive impersonation. Doing Marlon Brando. I'm glad you flagged that up. You tell the men that we will stay around the Cape of Good Hope and we will stay around the Horn. I, I don't like when you speak to women. You've got to tell the person these things. Hello. You're doing all right, yeah. Inevitably, balloon-shaped tenor Demis Roussos is the subject of a playoff. Though for me, he's surpassed by his former bandmate Vangelis, as Coogan and Bryden pay tribute to the Olympic Games by beatboxing Chariots of Fire. If you're all Greek actors, right, I'll stab you. That'll come easy. <laughs> How about you do a, a sponsored silence now for charity? If I haven't mentioned the food, it may be because it's still a painful memory. I went to a six o'clock screening of the trip to Greece with nothing to eat, not even popcorn. And the parade of amazing dishes started to count as cruel and unusual punishment after an hour or so. Eat first is my advice. What would you say you're most proud of? Uh, my seven BAFTAs. Mm. For me, it'd be my children. Yeah, well, because you haven't got any BAFTAs. Oh, you have got children, which is interesting. There's a certain genre of movie that I'm getting a bit sick of now, or at least sick of how lazy the perpetrators seem to be. It's shorthand to lump it under the catch-all phrase, feel-good movie, but it's more specific than that. It invariably features nice veteran British actors in a group, quaint elderly people, quaint female people, quaint elderly female people, all glued together by a gimmick. How did your internet date go at the weekend? Well, let's just say I got more than I bargained for. Lucky oh, you. No, he showed up with his wife in tow. Turns out I'd clicked swinging instead of swimming on my list of likes. <laughs> it could be rock and roll dancing, as in finding your feet, or an exotic hotel in India, or even nude pin-ups like Calendar Girls. But no matter how lame or condescending they are, let's call them compulsory happy ending films, at least they usually boast better casts than they deserve, often featuring the statuesque Celia Imri. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the great Guy Chambers. Lordy, Lord, have mercy on my ovaries. First time in India? No, it's just pretty much a dream until now. Any other dreams I could help you with? <laughs> Celia Emery has cornered the market on the modern Merry Widow character ever since she invented it in the best exotic Marigold Hotel. Here, she finally gets top billing in Love, Sarah, playing Mimi, the mother of the title character, a brilliant chef called Sarah. My dearest Sarah, I'm sorry we haven't spoken for so long. Sarah, it's Isabella. I'm outside our bakery waiting for you. Sarah and her mum have fallen out. Not literally, though Mimi used to be a successful trapeze artist in a circus. Take that, all you haters who regularly suggest that characters in compulsory happy ending films, C-H-E, or cheese for short, are thinly drawn and predictable. Perhaps we could meet up and discuss your brilliant bakery. It's time we spoke again. All my love, Mum. Mimi Karachi? Yes.
As it happens, both Mum's career and the character of Sarah are cut short. Before we can discover why mother and daughter are at odds, there's a terrible bike accident. But thanks to the always helpful music track in films like this, we saw it coming long before they did. You know this girl? She's my best friend's daughter. And where's your friend? What the hell are you going to do? There is somebody I could still try. We briefly abandoned Mimi to hook up with Isabella, Sarah's would-be co-chef, in a new venture, a brand-new bakery in Notting Hill. Now, for some reason, I imagine this meant loaves of bread and buns, but I'd not been keeping up with the copious cooking shows on British TV. Baking means cake. The more complicated, the better. And now that Sarah's gone, the cakes are about to be placed in the hands of dishy new cook, Matthew. I'm here about the baking job. It's a rose macaron filled with rose petal and lychee cremeur and fresh raspberries. The batter's undermixed. Sorry? Not by much, but it could do with a few more folds. Well, that's enough of Matthew. We need to bring back Mimi to provide the cash for the cakery. Clearly, trapeze work in a circus pays rather better than I imagined. And along the way, we also gather up the late Sarah's daughter, Clarissa, a would-be dancer, now more interested in becoming a waitress. You can definitely see its potential. What? It's cracked in. What's that smell? Cat's piss. Croissants, fresh from the oven. Okay, gritty realism is never the defining characteristic of cheese movies. It's enough that everyone drops what they were doing to make the late Sarah's dream come true. Clarissa waits like a pro. Isabella and Matthew cook up romance in the kitchen, while Mimi proves adept behind the till. All she needs is someone to flirt with. There are four other bakers. What makes you so special? Why don't you try one? Tell me. Good luck. Here we go. Wow, crowds. It's Felix, played by Fleabag's Bill Patterson, twinkling away as we wait for the inevitable crowds to arrive. But we're only three-quarters of the way into Love, Sarah. What we need is one more final gimmick. What about cakes of all nations? You know, traditional dishes of the world, whipped up overnight by a bunch of middle-class Brits. This city is home to people from all over the place. We make our bakery something to remind them of home. You were her best friend. If anyone can put her spirit into this, it's you. Before you can say condescending enough for you, the shop, named Love Sarah, in case anyone wants to make a movie of it, is a triumphant success. Along the way, there are happy endings aplenty for everyone, particularly merry widow Mimi, who's ready to offer Felix a bit of figurative trapeze work after hours. Love Sarah. Would you like to come in for a coffee? I might be up all night. Lucky me. Nothing succeeds like cheese. That's certainly the hope of films like Love, Sarah, but all too often, like here, the idea and the cast deserve better. I've got nothing against all's well that ends well, but as Shakespeare could have told the producers of this film, even a compulsory happy ending has to be earned. Otherwise, it just feels undermixed. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in, hold it in. 
and our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.